as your pastors, try to help you think well, to try to help you take God's word and, uh, and apply it appropriately to both what we see in the world around us, but then even to our own souls, our own hearts, those things that we're they're challenged with in our mind and in our soul. And, and this question that we are starting this morning with, uh, I often feel that we sometimes might ask it with the wrong motives. Our question, of course, for today is, can you lose your salvation? And you might wonder, like, well, boy, what might be a wrong motive to ask this question? What would be a wrong reason to ask this question? Well, how about this? This, I would say, is a bad question if you're looking to be comforted while you're happy in your sin. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, what if someone wanted to find out an answer to this question so they could carry on being satisfied, pursuing deceitful desires, ignoring the calls to repent, Ignoring the, the burden of a, of a conscience that's knocking on the door of your heart saying, turn. Let me give you a, a case study. Trent is an angry man. He hides it pretty well in public, but he lets it all out when he gets home. His family are regularly afraid of him. Sometimes he lashes out verbally. Sometimes he gives his family the the deathly silent treatment for, for weeks on end. He's even destroyed property and household items. And a year ago, he crossed a line he didn't think he would ever cross, and he hit his wife. He knew it was wrong. He apologized for it profusely, promising never to do it again. She forgave him. And then a couple weeks later, they got into another fight, and he did it again. Trent offered the same apologies and the same promises. But then again, a few days later, he was physically abusive again. And now, this is their ugly pattern. A year later, Trent knows that it's wrong, and yet he still refuses to ask for help. But... But lately, he's not as bothered or shocked by his abusive behavior anymore. She's just so difficult, he says to himself. If she would just be more submissive. She's actually, he's actually blaming his wife. Far too embarrassed and ashamed uh, to bring this up to any friends or to his pastor, Trent starts searching the internet for articles and sermons that might answer a question that's that's bothering him. Can I lose my salvation? And the most frequent answer he finds is no. You can't lose your salvation. And that's made him, a lot, that, that's made him feel a lot better. He was feeling anxious. He was feeling fearful. But now he feels confident of where he's going when he dies. If the reason why you want to know if you can lose your salvation is to find a sense of peace 
and confidence that you'll still go to heaven when you die, that your sins will still be forgiven, that God will still accept you into his family so that you can carry on living in persistent sin, refusing to repent when you know that's the right steps to take, you most likely do not have a faith that will save you on the day of judgment. People who know God, people who are saved by his grace, who've been given a new heart by the Spirit of God, care about his ways. They care deeply about obeying God's word. Speaking of, the, of those who experience the promise of the new birth, God's new covenantal love when he saves us, the prophet Ezekiel says in in, excuse me, Ezekiel 36, verse 27, he says, I will put my spirit within you, speaking on God's behalf, and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Friends, that's a new covenant promise. That's a new covenant promise for those people who have been saved by Jesus. That's a promise of God in their life. People who are saved don't look for ways to justify sin. They walk in God's ways. They're careful to obey God's word. They repent, which means they turn away from sin and back to God. People who are saved do not ignore a guilty conscience. No, instead, they see a guilty conscience as a, as a gift of God's mercy that's calling them calling him back to the excellent way of Christ. And so unrepentant people, meaning people who refuse to turn, people who refuse to turn, to turn from what's wrong, refuse to turn back to God, regardless of past religious experiences, regardless of past religious decisions, should take no comfort in the answer to the question, can you lose your salvation? Now, why is this an important question? I've done the Good Question sermon series at least three times, maybe four, and I think I've got it every time. And so that's why I'm preaching on it today, because it's one that We're so plagued by. Why is that? Well, one reason is because there appears to be a number of passages in the Bible that warn us about falling falling away from faith, that warn us about God's coming judgment, that might give us the impression that maybe we can lose our salvation. Why would God warn Christians, people forgiven by him, about coming judgment? There's a few of the verses that I have in mind. They might be familiar to you. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 say this. I've shortened it a little bit just for the sake of space. For it is impossible, the scripture writer says, in the case of those who have once been enlightened and then fallen away, to restore them again to repentance. So if they can't be restored after they've been enlightened to see and believe in God, does that mean they have lost their salvation? Or 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says in later times that some will depart 
from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Well, there we have it, right? To depart from the faith must mean they once had it. That sounds like you lose your salvation then. Or Psalm 51, 11, cast me not away from your presence, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so, boy, sounds like God might take the Holy Spirit away from somebody once he's given it to them. The Bible's filled with these kinds of warnings. Warnings about falling away. Warnings about the coming judgment. How does this work? It seems like these warnings imply that you can lose your salvation. And if you can't, then how genuine are they? Sounds disingenuous of God. It's like a parent counting to three, but only getting to two and a half and two and three quarters. Like, what's the deal? I think that this is not the only way to read and understand these kinds of verses. In fact, here's how I think God means for us, and I mean us meaning those who follow Christ, those who put their faith and trust in him, who believed in him for salvation and life. Here's how I think we're supposed to read those warnings. God has given them to us, I think, to keep the faithful faithful. When people who are saved hear the warnings about falling away, when they see in the scriptures the fearful words about sliding back into sin, the Spirit of God quickens their conscience and arouses the fear of God in their life so that they would turn back to God. The warnings of falling away, the blunt words of of God's judgment, are the means by which God keeps you, my good brothers and sisters, faithful. God is loving you with these warnings. God is keeping you close to him by honestly sharing with you the consequences of a life that's headlong into sin away from him. And when a person who's been made new by the Spirit of God hears that, they respond in faith. That's how God is using those words. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you should hear the warnings of punishment for sin being excluded from the life of God, separation from his presence, and experience a quickening of your conscience to a renewed sensitivity to staying close to God. That's a promise of the new covenant. It's one of the ways God causes you to walk in his ways and to be careful to obey his words. We drift in faith, don't we? Do you know what I mean when I say we drift? Like in the Christian life, you're either growing or you're, you're not. There's no like middle ground. There's no plateau. You're either growing in Christ or you're drifting away from him. And to grow in Christ, we need to be seeking the things that are above. If you read in the beginning, say, of, uh, of Colossians chapter 3, even starting back in chapter 2, Paul's giving this encouragement to grow in Christ and And a key uh, attitude of faith is for us to keep seeking the things above. And and as we keep seeking Christ in the word and with one another, we keep growing. But like you, there are times in my life where I don't seek the things above. And when I don't seek the things above, I start drifting. And when I start drifting, this is what happens. 
Um, I stop caring a little bit about what God thinks, about what his word says. Like, uh, spending time with him, pursuing him is not a priority to me. Uh, I start becoming complacent, not only to God and what he's done for me, but I also start becoming comfortable with my sin. Church becomes unimportant. But when we hear the warnings, God's spirit within us jumpstarts our spirit and says, this isn't good. Turn back. Don't drift away because here are the consequences. And when a spirit that is alive by God hears those warnings, he or she responds in faith. That's, I think, how the warnings are supposed to be understood and appropriated into the life of a follower of Jesus. I think there are solid biblical reasons for you to believe that you cannot lose your salvation. If you have been saved, if God has forgiven you of your sin, if you have been regenerated, and that's a big fancy word, meaning if God's new life has been birthed in you by his spirit when you heard the gospel and you repented of sin and trusted in his grace for the forgiveness of your sin, you cannot lose your salvation. Now here are two key verses or two passages that I think will, that provide that solid biblical evidence. And so we're going to flip around here a little bit. Why don't you take your Bibles out and turn to John chapter 10. Grab a Bible and turn to John, the Gospel of John chapter 10. I want to show you, I think, two key verses. I don't think they're the only verses, but the two key passages that I think believers in Christ can hold firmly to teach that those who have been saved will be saved to the uttermost, and that they cannot lose their salvation. John chapter 10, starting in verse 25, Jesus is talking to some some people who are antagonizing him. He had adversaries, as you, I'm sure, remember. And so he starts saying this in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them. Out of the Father's hand, I and the Father are one. Let me highlight a few key points to this. First of all, notice Jesus comparing his own to his antagonizers. Jesus says, you are not my own. You do not believe in me. My sheep, my followers, they do believe me. They hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Like that's, these are Beautiful verses, are they not? That, that teach us, that show us what authentic faith looks like with Christ. 
Now, what Jesus does next then, did you see? He emphasizes how secure his followers are in him. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. Why? Because the Father has given them to me, and I love this, no one is greater than my Father. And so if God the Father has given God the Son, if he has given you to him, you are secure. Your soul is safe forever. And again, the answer as to why is because no one is greater than the Father. Nothing has the power, nothing has the resourcefulness or the trickery to snatch you out of the Father's hand. That's good news. The next passage is Romans 8. So go to Romans 8. Go to Romans 8, New Testament again. I'm going to read verses 28 to 30. Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know, verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's a glorious verse, and I'm sure that raises all kinds of questions in your mind, which we will not answer today. But I'd love to talk with you about it more, if that is something you would like to do. But it's important to hear that in the context of where we're going. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now Paul, you have to understand, Paul is trying to help Christians who are suffering, which is actually a very important point regarding our question, can you lose your salvation? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the key verse is verse 30. Notice these, this chain of events, the links of God's work in a person's life. Starting up even into verse 29, if you are foreknown by God, meaning if God has placed his love upon you from the foundation of the earth, you are predestined. And if you are predestined, you are called meaning you have heard the the cry of a king summoning you to himself for love and for mercy. And if you're called, you're justified, meaning you've received the pardoning decree of the judge declaring you righteous. And if you're justified, you're glorified. That word glorified, that's the key word there for our question. Can you lose your salvation? Because that word has to do with being perfectly changed by God. When you see him face to face on the day of the Lord. If you've been glorified, that means you've made it. 
It means you've endured to the end and have been saved. Oftentimes in the New Testament, we hear of this word about being glorified or the glorification, referring to the splendor, the worth, the majesty that will be in the end, certainly of Christ and all of those in Christ. But for us, just to really kind of anchor this to the text, um, look at verse 18 with me. Look at, look at verse 18 of chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, beginning this section, trying to encourage suffering Christians. Verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, what's key is the contrast. Sufferings in this present time, in contrast to what? The glory, meaning the excellence, the splendor, the perfection, if you will, that is to be revealed to us. Well, well, when's that? When is that going to be revealed? When's the revelation of the sons of God? That's in the end. And so we have this link at the very beginning of this passage to the very last verse of this section, all trying to encourage suffering Christians to keep looking to the glory that will be ours. And if you have been called, that means you have been justified and those who have been justified are glorified. Now just to underscore this reality, and the the reality meaning the reality that everyone who is saved will make it, Look at the very end of Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through the end of the chapter. Look at Romans 8, verse 37. Know in all these things, I'm just going to tell you what the these things are. It's the sufferings that we go through. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, when I hear that, that sounds a lot like nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And so I would submit to you, friends, that these two passages provide a very solid biblical uh, foundation for us to believe that you cannot lose your salvation. Glorious passages. Know them well. Know them well. Now, as I was preparing and writing, I was trying to imagine what would be some objections to these things. I could come up with two objections that might emerge in a person's mind, maybe in your mind. Here's the first one. But Brian, I've been so unfaithful. When I look at my behavior, even after I've been saved, I'm so ashamed. I've done so many bad things. I can't possibly be forgiven. God could not still save me. The verse that 
came to my mind is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, which, is, which reads, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's salvation of your soul, my friends, does not depend on your faithfulness. It depends on God's faithfulness to you. Like, we're not faithful. Like, let's just admit that. We're not faithful people. While we will be made perfect, we're not perfect yet. And the key issue, of course, I think for us, along with embracing the reality, the the great news that while we are faithless, God is faithful, is not to use that as an excuse or permission to run off into persistent sin. That's not what followers of Jesus do. Again, that's part of the new covenant promise, which we've talked about already. Now, the second objection that I could imagine someone asking or saying might be, but Brian, I've seen it. I had a friend like Trent. He believed in Jesus. We went to Bible studies together. I was there when he gave his life to Christ. He was crying. I saw it with my own two two eyes. And now he doesn't follow Jesus. He told me himself he doesn't believe this stuff anymore. He's lost his salvation. Thankfully, God has given us a verse for this very problem to help us understand what's happening. So take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2. The end of your Bibles or near the end of your Bibles. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John's a remarkable little book because it helps us understand what authentic faith looks like. And in chapter 2, John is concerned with people who have rejected Christ, especially people who once believed, but they don't anymore. And John tells us how we should understand what's happened to them. The key verse is verse 19. The key verse is verse 19, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They, and that they are those who don't walk with us anymore, those who aren't pursuing Christ, those who in fact are anti-Christ, he calls them there in verse 18. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but but they went out, meaning they left. They've abandoned the faith. They've walked away from their, their faith and the believers in Christ. They went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. And so John is trying to help people scratching their heads about their friends. They used to follow Christ. They used to walk with him, but they don't anymore. What happened? I think the text is fairly clear. They didn't lose anything. It's not that they had saving faith and they lost it somehow. I think the answer that this passage is telling us is that they never had it. If they had truly saving faith, they would have continued on with us. They would have remained with us. But because they did not remain faithful to God, because they did not endure, the conclusion is they were never among us. They were never a part of us. And you know what I think this verse does? I think this verse rebukes two common 
mistakes that we make. Here's the first mistake we've been talking about all morning. Is thinking that these friends have lost their faith. They've lost salvation. They had it, now they don't have it anymore. But we've been learning today, I think, that that's not what happens. Those who are of Christ are secure till the end. The second mistake we make is this. We think our friends still have saving faith. They initially had faith. They don't walk with Jesus anymore. But we know they had it. We were there. We saw it with our own two eyes. We heard them pray the sinner's prayer. We know they're saved. Now they've walked away. But it doesn't matter because you can't lose your salvation so they're still saved. That is not what this passage teaches either, does it? And you know what I think the common error is to those mistakes that we make of thinking in our mind or are those, those errors of discernment? Here's our, here's our error. We are too sure we, we're too sure we know someone's received Christ. We think we've correctly discerned that they did receive Christ when we actually don't know that. We're so confident that because we saw someone make a decision, pray a prayer, check a box, whatever you might say, because we've seen tears come from their eyes, that we now know they're saved. That is not the evidence that you are saved. Put, so put your thinking caps on, or I know you, or leave them on just for a few more minutes. Let me ask you this question. What's the evidence a person has genuine faith according to 1 John 2, verse 19? Look at, look at 1 John 2, verse 19. What's the evidence? What's the evidence that someone has genuine, saving faith? Do you see it? Continuing. Do you see that? If they were of us, they would have continued with us. According to this passage, continuing is the evidence of genuine faith. Oh, I know. (laughs) I know some of you struggle. I know some of you struggle with doubt. You wonder and question if you're saved. You're afraid you've lost it or maybe you never had it in the first place. (laughs) But look at you. Here you are, continuing You're continuing in the faith. You hate the sin that dwells inside of you. And you're doing your best to put it aside and to put on Christ. And you struggle with doubt and you struggle with assurance. But you keep leaning in. You keep pursuing Christ. That's what people who know the saving love of God, that's what they do. And that's what you're doing. So be encouraged, my doubting brothers and sisters. In spite of your sufferings, in spite of your fears, in spite of your confusion, you're asking God to help you continue. And that's why this is such an important question. Can you lose your salvation? I hinted at this before, and so let me address it here in closing. Do you know why God has verses in the Bible? that assure us that you cannot lose your salvation. It's not to keep us comfortable in persistent sin. 
It's not to satisfy intellectual curiosity. It is because there is so much trouble. It is because the darkness is so powerful and the challenges of this world are so great that it's a wonder why all of us do not question and doubt our place and standing within the family of God. Sin so easily entangles and Satan so frequently and effectively tempts and the world grinds at our faith with a weight and a power that crushes our spirit that it seems like the right conclusion would be there's no way I'm still saved. There's no way that God's love is still holding me. The only reason why we would believe that is the sure words of God that say, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hands. Nothing can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And if you have been predestined, you've been called. If you've been called, you have been justified. If you are justified, you are glorified. That is why we have these words in the scriptures. That is why this is not a bad question. It's just that we have to apply it to the right situation, which is the challenge and struggle that we all go through in this world filled with darkness, sin, and death. The goal that God has for you and for me is to encourage us, to help us be resilient in our faith and keep doing the good works that he's called us to do in the face of such doubt. That's the reason why it's here. And I pray that's why you're going to leave here with a happy heart that God has you secure. That's my hope and prayer for you.